0: Brew Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the Riptide. Visit them online at BlickmanEngineering.com. Hey, howdy, hey, my brewing brothers and sisters. I'm Jamel Zanishev. I'm Travis Campbell. And I'm Mike sign And you're listening to Brew Strong. Wow. Got him. So professional. Very we've, well done. We finally figured it out <laughs> after, after 15, 16 years. Here you go. <laughs> piece of cake. Piece of cake. How have you guys been doing? Seems like it's been a while since uh, we all chatted.
2: Uh, I've been fine over here. It's, uh, it's actually starting to cool off the slightest amount, so it's still about 20 degrees higher than wherever you guys are at.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh,
4: I've been brewing up a storm. I've I've got I'm doing batches almost every weekend, getting ready for a couple of competitions coming up, and Oktoberfest is kind of my my thing. I always like to make
0: a beer for that. And... Nice. Do you have a like an Oktoberfest? You guys do up in the the uh, Reno area? uh not like a large city-wide thing but
4: i was gonna go check this one out at a brewery on september 30th at mm-hmm. the saturday yeah yeah and check that out but i always do my maritzen
0: she turned out really yes. nice this year so nice see if she can win a couple medals too i love a good Oktoberfest. it's one of my favorite things and once i was no longer with the brewery we used to do a, a thing at the brewery where i'd bring in like 20 different you know, uh, German beers that really hard to get, uh, into the brewery and have a, just a rocking Oktoberfest. And, uh, since I'm not there anymore, they're not doing it anymore. I was thinking, well, maybe one of the local cities will have me, you know, uh, do an Pretty Oktoberfest cool. for them. but, you know, maybe Reno. Uh, yeah, that would be a big one. I mean, they, they're, they're always something. looking for an excuse to throw a party up here. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, All the, I the, the casino's. I love it up in Reno. It's it's a wonderful town. Yeah, nice. we got good weather. I we're in the mid eighties, dry, nice. sunny. And then in Houston, Travis uh, Oktoberfest.
2: Uh, well, yeah. So the bars here and there will do this, that, and the other. Yeah. Uh, our downtown Flying Saucers having one. They, they'll bring in.
0: The Is there typical- like a not- big, big like city organized one? You know where there's you know hay bales and no people no. Yeah. <laughs>
2: There's other things that aren't Oktoberfest that are, you know, but mainly it's outside of what you call the city. As you get into the into the middle of nowhere, you know, people do various things, as fall approaches, hay rides, things like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, now there's, I mean, it'd be lovely if, like, NRG Stadium would host uh, an Oktoberfest.
0: Yes, there you go. Now you're talking. See, that's <laughs> that's yep. some thinking there. That's the scale. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I think uh, every city needs an Oktoberfest, or at least, you know, the, uh, every every small region needs an Oktoberfest of its own. I agree. Uh Bill in the, the chat wants to know can we rename Oktoberfest to Hoptoberfest and do a special full month of IPAs? Actually, that's not a bad idea. I think Just not September, so. right?
4: That well, that's kind of always my dilemma is. It's the hop harvest time of year, so you got all that going on, and then you got Oktoberfest going on.
0: Well, Oktoberfest truly should be in September, and then we could do Hoptoberfest in October. Yeah. Or we could do hop (laughs) Oktoberfest.
5: Nice. hop early September. Or April. Hey? (laughs) Boom. January? No. Just hops all year round. We'll figure out a way
0: to slam hop in we'll yeah. every Bill. You you keep working on that. Uh, you know, uh figure out what month that should be. You know, I I bet it loves a great Oktoberfest. It's my dear friend uh John Blickman. And uh I was thinking, I was thinking about it today. I really love how a lot of times he'll call me pal <laughs> in the email he'll say, hey pal, you know, I like that. I you forget right? your name, right? It's a little bit of a Midwest thing. Yeah. No, no. I mean, he knows. we've we've had way too many uh, drunken uh evening uh, together <laughs> for him not to know my name. But, you know, it's you know it's usually cursing and shaking his fist when he says my name, but, you know what, what are you gonna do? But you know, that guy's a genius and uh he's you know constantly making uh you know cool new things. One of the the latest new things is, you know, they're Boilermaker kettles. It's uh, probably the best boiling kettle on the the market. It's, you know, really a lot of technology has gone into this thing. And they used to have, you know, the Hellfire burner and then the immersion heater. And then they made the thing called the Boilermaker surface, which is, there's nothing inside the kettle. It is just a smooth surface, so you don't have like a you know electric elements to run into. Um, you don't get that uneven scorching. Makes it super easy to clean. Um, fantastic thing. They're they're even doing this for pro size uh, equipment, so you can get it on the on the on the from any size you're doing from the uh, the home brewer up to the pro brewer. Uh, you can get these uh, this uh, bonded elements uh three i think it's like three uh like pie-shaped elements that are bonded to the bottom of the kettle uh so it makes it easier to clean uh you know the the minute you get you know a drop of liquid in there you can start your boil uh you can step mash in this thing all that really cool and you know this is from the the mine that brought you the auto sparge the uh, the beer gun uh, the Brew Commander, the Brewmometer, they've got Whirlpool kits, Hop Rocket, Hop Blocker, they, you know, whatever it is, um, you know, they've got it. And uh, just a brilliant company led by a brilliant dude. And he's been paying for the show for 15, 16 years. Uh, so you don't have to. So the least you can do is send him an ice email at feedback at blickmanengineering.com. Tell him how much you appreciate that he, uh, uh, pays for the show and you know he doesn't ask me to say that i just feel that it's important it's so important to me that i had the wrong email address he goes you know there is oh, no yeah. feedback at blickman engineering this is maybe like five ten years ago he goes but uh you know uh, so we added it he's like yeah email's coming <laughs> i remember it. that he remember he checked he checks him himself uh so it's it's nice i uh, appreciate that you guys send those out
2: how long was he thinking you had zero reach because he's not getting these emails
0: <laughs> it had to be
4: like 10 years i think it was right. like halfway through the show series yeah. we've got so far yeah. Is like
2: oh you john mean? john's on the show he's like what the hell's that address jamil ah oh, shit anyway sorry
0: <laughs> yeah it <laughs> is the joy of working uh for the brewing network you know everything is is 100 percent. we've never made a mistake in our lives here at the Brewing Network.
2: You made the best catchphrase, bro. Who was it? Did, did Palmer create it? Innovating your Brew Day?
0: Uh, no, it was uh, Jason Petros. J- J- JP. J- okay. JP. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. As there's like John Palmer, John, please say, and Jason Petros. <laughs> Every time I say JP, people think I'm talking right. about somebody other than Jason Petros. But Jason right. Petros actually. Uh, quite a clever marketing mind on that guy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he He's the one who said innovating your brew day, which I think is just a genius uh, slogan.
5: And, uh, you know, I think uh, Blakeman Engineering is innovating your brew day right, right there. Definitely. All right. Let's see here.
0: Today, we wanted to talk about uh, fermentation tips and tricks. You know, there's there's a lot to fermentation. It's very simple on the surface. You put some yeast in your wort and it becomes beer, you know, no big deal, right? It, it pretty much always works unless you have dead yeast to start with, or uh, you, know, you put it in liquid that's way too hot or doesn't have any sugar in it. Um, but other than that, it'll make beer. So, very simple. But how do you make great beer? You know, what are, what are some of the, like anything you can drive, you can mash your foot on the gas pedal. You can kind of, you know, mess around with the steering wheel. You know, are you going to drive successfully? Are you going to plow into a wall? What's going to happen? So (laughs) there's a little, there's a few things you should know about driving and there's a few things you should know about fermentation as well. I've, I've said this one before. Uh, if if you can't measure dissolved oxygen, if you don't have a meter, although the you know the price of parts per million meters from like Milwaukee have come down, they're like a hundred and something bucks now, which isn't cheap by homebrew standards. But you know, for a commercial brewery, that's dirt cheap. Should be measuring your oxygen, and uh, even for some home brewers, I've seen them spend money from a lot more money on far less mm-hmm. than being able to tell how much dissolved oxygen is there. But, as a home brewer myself, you know back in my day, it was like a thousand bucks, two thousand bucks to measure dissolved oxygen. So I couldn't afford it. Uh, and what I did was measure the things I could. I could measure time easily, right? And I could measure flow. i I used a uh, a medical uh, uh, regulator that i uh, somebody gave me. And was able to measure you know how many uh, liters a minute of of oxygen. If you don't have one of those, and let's say you've already got your 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 setup and it doesn't measure, you can go on eBay and for probably less than ten bucks, definitely less than twenty bucks, you can get yourself a flow meter.
5: It's a little ball trapped in a in a cylinder there and the rotometer. Uh, There you go. <laughs> the
0: engineer speaks up. And uh, uh, you just want to make sure you get, get one in the range that you want. And so for, you know, homebrew, uh, you're generally talking around a half a liter, maybe one liter a minute is what kind of flows you want. So get something from, you know, quarter, zero to, you know, five liters a minute uh, three liters a minute, something like that. Again, fairly cheap. You just need to make sure that, you know, when you set them up, set them up generally up and down and, um, you can, you can do it with that and do time and your liters per minute and just measure that. And if the resulting beer turns out without, um, a uh, great result, and you you think you need more oxygen. Well, then you can, you have at least a way to measure how much oxygen you're putting in there or less oxygen, whatever it t- turns out to be. Yeah. I think that's a prime tip
2: right there. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Mike, uh, what do you use for measuring your, your O2? I mean, you do a lot of yeah. EVAs, and I, I know you O2 the heck out of your both.
0: Yeah. So I've
4: actually built um it's a welding oxygen tank that has one of those um, brewing regulators on there. It's actually down over here. So but those I actually were just built, like the
2: medical ones. So I'm yeah. curious about the accuracy of that. So sorry, you were going.
4: Oh, but then I actually built where I, I I'll inline oxygenate as I'm knocking out. So mm-hmm. I actually I try to flow a little bit less than what Jamil recommended, just because I'm flowing the entire knockout. So right. I'm going 10 minutes, 15 minutes, but and then I'll I'll uh, I'll actually push my knockout into the uh, racking tube because I actually want to. that oxygen in solution i don't want to splash it over the top so actually i want to fill from the bottom and then these bubbles are coming through and i think it's worked really well for me i've had good successes but even with like juice which is particular about its high oxygen aeration so yeah, it
0: really does need a lot of oxygen
4: yeah but i actually don't have a, a do probe and i was definitely thinking i should probably step up to really be able to control that and Jamil makes good points, and I need to get off my butt.
2: <laughs> my uh, regulator probably looks just like yours, and it does look a lot like the medical tank from Jamil. Difference being is the one that they sell for us homebrewers threads onto a, a welding-type O2 tank mm-hmm. versus the flip-on for the medical-type tanks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's exactly that. And on a, that left-hand side, is a dial where you can dial in your liters per minute. Hmm. Now, my big reason for not exactly trusting what that says mm-hmm. is... If it's just like a pressure regulator, it depends on what the downstream back pressure is. And I have a half micron centered stone. They mm-hmm. also sell two micron centered stones. And I'll tell you right, right. you can see the flow difference through the two stones. Yeah. But absolutely. so you go back to what you said, what mm-hmm. worked, what didn't work, try a little more, try a little less,
5: grew again.
0: The little ball in the in the thing. That's unbeatable. That's that's gonna be on that's that's always gonna be accurate yeah. Even with back pressure. Yes. Um, the, the problem with a lot of welding regulators is that they are, um, they will bleed off, uh, in order
2: to oh, yeah.
5: pressure.
0: Right. And so you can't leave them hooked up all the time. Right.
2: Yeah. The, 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 the once for an oxygen acetylene type welding system, now that's not going to do it for you. Yeah. And, yeah. and that really is only going to regulate pressure. It's just truly a pressure regulator, not a flow regulator, which is why I'm suspect on the one that Mike and I use. But I stick with what I do. All right. Uh, it makes good beer and I do the same thing every time.
5: Well,
0: and I'd also say one of the things about those centered stones is I, I think the the finer the center stone you can get, the the better for getting oxygen into your work. And um the thing we would do at Heretic was uh put the centered stones in an ultrasonic cleaner, and you'd be surprised at how much crud came out of those things you think it's like a smooth surface. You know, it's so smooth. Um, As a home brewer, what I did was I would take my centered stones and I would put them in uh, little quarter jars, quarter mason jars, Mm -hmm. quarter pint uh, or whatever they were, quarter quart. And uh, I would put a a bit of water in there and then I would uh, run them through the uh, the pressure cooker. You know, I would, would sterilize them. And you'd see material come out of it, fluff out of it uh, from from that process, too,
2: yeah, you yeah. inspired me. I'm going to burn mine,
0: and then i then I knew <laughs> it was I knew it was sterile too. so yeah. i would I had like three, and then each you know, I would just go through them. I'd crack, open a sterile one because uh, a lot of material gets in there
2: all right. I, I did in line for a little bit, and I didn't like
5: what I saw because I didn't clean it well enough, so I stopped doing it in line, Mhm. I went back to
0: the I have a wand type but anyway, sorry, yep um all right, who's got a, a yeah mike you had you had raised your hand uh, earlier uh who's got the the next yeah uh, well i yeah I can give you tips from from
4: what I've actually found using a tilt hydrometer uh pretty interesting to to find that I've been getting way better attenuation by starting the maturation rest more around sixty percent uh ADF, if you're Mm -hmm. looking for 80 and, and, you know, that's almost, you know, two thirds of the way there, not, not necessarily two to five points from final. So you're saying raise, raise the temperature about 60% through. Yeah. So it's actually kind of, I remember, um, a podcast way long ago, you guys talked about, you know, as soon as you start to see that drop off in bubbles in your blow off, well, I can actually watch it in the tilt and see like, look, it's slowing down. I, I can, I can use a little Excel stuff to figure out what the slope of the fermentation is looking like. And when it starts to slow and it slows to where I'm starting to get uncomfortable with it, I can actually push it with temperature and, mm-hmm. and I've, I've been getting really good results. And it, it may not be that typical by the book, two to five
0: points from FG, you know. Yeah, I I don't think two to five uh, points is, is correct. I think right. that that's... You know, that's something somebody said back in the day and it kept getting repeated. And yeah, and like you, what I what I found was um, when you see it start to slow, increase the temperature, you know, or, you know, try and take the And uh, I one of the things I did was when I saw any signs of slowing, when I anticipated slowing, <laughs> yeah, then I would just, you know, raise the 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 restrictive temperature of my chilling and it would you know over the next day or so get up to that point and and i would just keep chasing it higher and higher so yeah. i wasn't instantly heating it up but you know i would let the the fermentation you know draw the temperature up and uh yeah made a big difference in, in yeah. a yeah. like you're saying that's yeah, good and i
4: yeah i think it does a couple things i think it's it's helping with attenuation. It's getting those mopping up operations going. It's, it's really helping that fermentation take that, that next phase of, kind of slowing down and going to bed kind of thing for the yeast. But I, like I've 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 seen steady increases in ADF. You know, five to ten percent. I mean, I had a couple beers finished at eighty-five percent attenuation, which I was really happy with because mm. I was going for a dry beer that on those. So it was to see that was. Was awesome, and I kind of credit that to controlling that temperature a little differently than what I might have done if I'd only
5: followed the common knowledge. I guess. There you go. Well, All right. You know my. Nope. As I, say, <laughs> let's I a use short, a. Let's take a short break. break. <laughs> and when we come back,
0: we'll hear from TC about his his uh tip and tips and tricks. Uh, right after.
1: back to the beer guys that make other beer guys look like wine guys brew strong
0: alright we're back we're talking uh, fermentation tips and tricks and uh TC you're up
2: yeah, so I didn't have something new just yet. I was going to pile on to what Mike was saying. Uh, the tilt, uh, its its accuracy may be arguable, but its effect and in, in what you can learn from your beer, I appreciate it. And one thing it shows me is that my little temperature probe that goes just into my fermenter isn't as accurate as what's happening when that yeast is really happy in my, my fermenter. So what I find is that my my temperature is already higher than I thought it was, and maybe higher than I necessarily wanted it to be. So I need to start dialing it up a notch or two, so I don't force that to crash as it starts to slow down. So I, I kind of use the tilt to kind of chase where it's, the beer wants to go within reason. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I'm with you, Mike. I start ramping sooner rather than later, uh, within reason.
0: Yeah, well, this, I, is, yeah. Oh, this is yeah, an interesting point because I've always advocated, and at Heretic, I insisted on measuring gravity every day and pH of a fermentation. And it's difficult as a home brewer to take the samples and, and get those those measurements. So the tilt is handy in that respect. But um you know having information on your fermentation, what what I can tell you from from professionally brewing is that you could look at the the specific gravity of of a beer. And you could look at the pH of a beer and it would track exactly the same every time you fermented that beer. And anytime you saw a deviation in that pattern, there was a problem. There was something wrong with your yeast. There was something wrong different with the wort. There was some something wrong with the equipment that was chilling, whatever it would be, something was different. And so it was really, you know, it's it's interesting to hear you guys say. You know, you're depending on this data quite a bit to, you know, help you improve your fermentation.
4: Yeah, and I can. If you don't have kind of that resource of these data loggers, I would just take a gravity every day, take a pH every day, and and I could see it. You know, it 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 was dropping. It dropped ten degrees between yesterday and today, and you know, the next day it only drops five. So that's an obvious slowdown. We're slowing down in your blow off if you use Star Sand like I do you've got quite a lot of bubbling and, and foaming during high krausen, And then when that falls, almost like it's the same as the krausen falling in the fermenter. Uh, you can kind of make an assessment that you're probably ready to either do a, like a natural temperature raise, like Jamil was saying, where you just take off the cooling or uh, actually what I do is I try to control the temperature raise using a, an ink bird and a heater because I've, you know, got a cold garage sometimes and, can't always let that go, and it will just crash on its face. So there's a there's quite a few ways to do it, but the key is for me is controlling that point where I I start the maturation wrist
5: Now we need to tilt pH.
4: <laughs> I guess there's pro style ones that I mean. Well, I've you could, ads, they, You they could do put pH, a no?
0: pH meter in. Yeah. The problem is that the the uh the electrode uh, becomes. The glass and the electrode becomes too too mucked up uh, too quickly and really sets things off. A continuous pH monitoring can be be a problem with something as uh, protein rich as as beer. Here's a couple of quick ones. Um, don't use distilled or RO water with yeast. Yeah, that's a osmotic pressure kind of thing, right? Exactly you want to use, you know, your, your, your general tap water. And if, if there's not enough, uh, mineral salts in there, uh, like Mike saying, the, the osmotic pressure can be, uh, extreme on the yeast. You're essentially just cramming water into the end of the yeast cells. They'll, they'll blow up or die. Um, so you don't want to do that. Um, don't spin your stir plate too fast.
4: Yeah. We talked about this on, um, the podcast with the guy from lalamand if i'm not mistaken
0: right we had a nice to one try with,
4: to, uh, yeah try to prevent stress on the yeast right in the middle of their growth cycle you don't want to be having crashing into each other and having all that shear is what he says and that's a pretty good fluid mechanics reference is right that shear force on these yeast membranes and yeast molecule or cells can get a thing like sliding across you know that's a shear so
0: it's certainly more delicate on dry, uh, dried yeast being rehydrated because their membranes are quite tender at that point and haven't really fully reconstituted. And so I was asking about stirring uh, yeast when you're rehydrating. You know, you're know, you told not to stir the yeast. And what's the reason for that? It's like, well, the, the yeast cells are so delicate. If you stir, you, you smash a lot of them. Same thing goes for a stir plate. You go way too fast. Um, you know, they're they're not indestructible little little balls. They're you know, they're fairly tough, but you can uh you can screw them up with uh too too fast a, a stir plate. Yeah, you can go back in the archives and you can listen to uh Avi from uh Lalamand. He was a fantastic guest. Yeah, well we'll have him on again. That yeah, guy's that was, got a lot a lot to share,
4: especially because so, for many of us who are so used to starters and buying liquid yeast, the dry yeast can Seem like a black box and that podcast was really cool for people who don't necessarily use dry yeast or, or per se, trust it. Cause I know there's, you know, a stigma
2: back to our stir plates. So we're, we're saying don't create the tornadic vortex, right? Now we're, we're trying to shake that's, up the, the, yeast just enough to flash out some CO2, pick up some oxygen. Right. Just uh, a slight
0: dimple in the surface. Yeah, is what what okay. Yeah. It, uh that, that slight dimple means that liquid is traveling down and that liquid's coming up the sides. You're exchanging right. the liquid at the surface area, right. which is what you want. And that's where you're picking up your, your oxygen. And you're also just ensuring that the yeast are uh, evenly you know, distributed throughout the liquid so they can bump into the sugars that they, they want to consume. I got to say, I'm going to be just trashed before the end of tonight. <laughs> I'm having some moxa in flight. Oh, I love Moxa 7.3%. Delightful. Oh my God. It's, it's just, this is uh it's like a Citra Simcoe, uh, El Dorado and uh, uh mosaic.
2: Oh, I'm surprised. Mosaic. huh? There it is.
4: They're, they're magicians over there with the hazies. Is that a hazy? I, I can't see.
0: No, no, it's, it's a, uh, it's a West coast. It's pretty. Oh, there you go. I'm actually uh, a, a little pre <laughs> yeah. pre-gaming. Uh, got, uh, fantastic uh, great folks there you know it's the uh, the main bartender's name uh thomas uh he's fantastic just just a great great crew of people and um they make great beer it's a great time if you're on the rockland area of california it's in between sacramento and auburn sacramento and tahoe uh so you're on, on the 80 corridor thomas. yeah interstate 80 just just stop and uh, you know enjoy enjoy some moxa. They always have good food trucks and and other things going on there food wise. They make they, oh. they
4: really specialize in the
0: darker beers too stouts porters. They have some amazing ones. ones. Man, and they... I don't want to get sidetracked here, but I <laughs> first I had my first beer with candy cap uh, mushrooms, and uh, yeah, that's what everyone's like. Uh, what? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. and so yeah yeah they're not uh psychedelic mushrooms they taste like and smell like uh maple syrup Isn't that weird
2: it's not like uh eating blowfish it's not like you have to trim it right so you don't get poisoned <laughs> no
0: it's uh it's it's uh it just tastes in different ones taste more or less like uh maple syrup but Sorry. Nice. um yeah
2: like Greek has that flavor kind of right
0: Yes, yes. Okay. You're the second you person to to tell me that. <laughs> yeah. So it's a compound. Yeah, so, Somebody's isolated the way compound it is that tastes like. Um, mm-hmm.
2: So I wish I had a friend out that way that would just send me some of those beers. That was fantastic.
0: Yeah. Sucks.
4: I still got to send you some of mine, Travis. I was going to yeah, can so up I've, this Maritzen. Yeah.
2: Nice. Mm. I, I haven't. Uh, I haven't. I've only done one beer for one competition, and I didn't send it out because only one. Uh, when I when I bottle for comp, I'm going to send you both some beer. Jamil will act like he drinks his, and you can give me the truth about what you think about <laughs> yours.
5: Yeah. No, and, and
4: I also have a, a pre prohibition Pilsner. It's actually Ooh. right out of Jamil's classic American lager recipe. Very nice. The only thing I changed was I used Mount Hood instead of sauce. I, wanted to I thought that. you
2: were going to relate that to yeast. You use a specific yeast
5: to get that profile. I,
4: I did also use a. Uh, the Lutra Kvike, I you know the pseudolager yeast. Okay. Cause I didn't have enough cooling capacity in August to to do another 52 degree fermentation. So gotcha. I fermented it at like 72, but that 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 uh,
0: Lutra stuff, man, she cleans up nice. All right. So. Uh, other fermentation tips and tricks. You got one? No? I can mm-hmm. do another one. <laughs> Go ahead. I guess when it comes to tips and tricks for fermentation,
4: I'd say there's been a lot of interesting things in the realm of uh, dry hopping and when to dry hop. And like, if you're trying to get haze or not, and there's interesting new things about yeast, certain yeasts are haze positive or, 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 you know, haze neutral, these, these new terms. And uh, that one's a uh, really neat that we can now design beers and their haze based on our yeast selection. And then when did, when we dry hop, there's some interesting evidence that you can push more haze if you use a haze positive yeast like like a a boddington's which is london three or london fog or juice and and then you dry hop after fermentation you can actually get a better haze and there's some really interesting uh science going on around that so dialing up haze in your fermentation it's real and actually they found that when you dry hop early like if you're doing knockout dry hop additions or day one two three you can actually drop your haze out of your beer like there's a clarifying effect so tips and tricks that you might want to look at if you're going for hazy and you want that real milky you know turbid haze you might want to look at cold dry hopping
0: well well here we go uh start working on the the uh hazy tips and tricks show gotcha. Start, I thought start that was a good a fermentation
4: one because it was yeast-dependent, so I, yes, I grabbed it.
0: but it's also, it, it reminded me we should do a hazy tips and tricks. Definitely. I got a hazy double IPA going right now,
4: and it's turning out nice. I did a wet cascade mash hop nice. to push some more precursors. <laughs> there
0: you go. I need to try the uh, wet hops from uh, Blue, Lakes. Uh, Blue Lake hops. I'm going to see. Uh, Adrian's going to send me some. I just need to. Uh, I just need to work that out with them, and then I need to brew. I'm going to be on the road for the next month. I'm going to be I'm going to be gone for like 32 days. I'm going to um, Dusseldorf to start with. Then I'll be in I Amsterdam. I'm, I'm going to do the Schumacher Lotzen beer release. Then I'm going to do Amsterdam to do a collab with Morschlutel, and uh, then I'm gonna I'm gonna to tour around with my 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 good buddy uh, Aaron, and uh, then I'm going to. Norwich to see uh, Martin and Adnams and I'm gonna meet up with my friend Paul and then uh we're gonna head out to uh Birmingham I'm going to do the black country uh wandering around meet up with uh some friends there head out to uh Jeremy Clarkson's uh farm Oh no, uh,
2: nice.
0: have you have you watched uh, Clarkson's farm I know I, it's still on the list.
2: Oh, I tell
0: you. If that you sounds like, like a it,
2: fantastic trip, but I'm not sure why you're putting Alabama in the middle of
0: it. If you like uh, Top Gear, <laughs> you love Clark's so this far. <laughs> That's fantastic. And then uh, we're going to York. We're going to hit uh, Timothy Taylor's, Theakston's, uh Black Sheep. And then um going to head down to London, do the, uh, the keynote at the BrewCon. Then heading off to Italy with Liz for 10 days to do uh venice florence and rome a little side trip to pompeii which i told her i couldn't go to italy and not see pompeii then back to dusseldorf to catch the uh the the shticka releases uh for oh, nice so i'm gonna get, catch all three of those and uh hopefully write an article and do all that, that good stuff
2: yeah but that late in the trip, you won't remember shit
0: not like 30 plus days. Um, Henry's gonna meet up with me in Dusseldorf on the second oh. second leg, so that'll be fun. All right, let's do another quick break, and then uh, when we come back, Travis, surely you've thought
5: of some fermentation tip tip or trick. You'll have it right after this.
1: Turning to brew has never been so disgusting. This is brew strong.
0: All right, we're back. Uh, we're talking fermentation tips and tricks, and uh, uh, we've come up with some good ones already. But I'm sure there's you know tons more. Travis, you're you're a the great brewer, and uh, you've you've got a lot of uh, fermentation knowledge. What's one of your favorite uh, tips?
2: I'll um, i go through an observation.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I've uh, you know I I rely on a very specific calculator to get me in the right direction, uh, but I also alter it as I need uh, around my brew day, around my word, etc., my experience, and I use containers that aren't exactly. Perfect scientific containers graduated the whole way up, and so I was using the Mr. Multi Calculator quite a while. When I realized I had, uh, I was off on my calculation on on my volume in my my Nalgene type bottles, and so when I corrected it, I started pitching less yeast, and immediately everything was taking longer to finish out, and my barley wine didn't finish out, and that's just not acceptable. Mm-hmm. So, trying to fix my situation again, learning from the situation, I just said, "Okay, I'm going to add twenty percent to whatever Mister Malty tells me."
3: Mm-hmm.
2: It's not really twenty percent; it's it's my approximation and my little vessels I use to store yeast. And uh, very recently, for some reason, I looked at it really closely and I, and I said, "Well, you know, the bottom's just plastic, so let me just add another quarter inch of yeast."
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And the the boost in my fermentation was it was just ridiculous now quarter inch doesn't tell anybody anything but you've often said it easy to underpitch not easy to overpitch and yeah. i th- yeah. i think i'm seeing it and i think i'm learning it and uh it sometimes it scares me how fast even oh one one finishes out it's like as fast as i've done certain bikes at 95 degrees in my garage at it's just i mean it's not finish finish but fermentation's hitting an end you know it's time for cleanup and uh, it's amazing what a, a little adjustment in your in your healthy yeast pitch will do to your beer. Um, no off flavors, absolutely not off flavors. The latest IPAs I've made are some of the best I've made,
3: mm-hmm. and
2: that's one of the tweaks I've made. So um, again, it's an observation more than a tip or trick. But I guess the tip would be: would in doubt, pitch more, not less.
0: Yes. Yes. Absolutely people that are trying to you know say well you know here's the amount that you know you need to ferment you know this beer or that beer you know and then going like yeah that's all i need it's like well mm. you know there's the the, the mr multi calculator did you know kind of take that into account you know the the fact that yeast isn't always as healthy as you think it is but even then, it's got an adjustment where you can go like, nope, that doesn't work for me. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to adjust a little higher. So it tells me, you know, higher, uh, you know, maybe you got more trube in your in your your yeast. So you go a little higher on the tube yeah. setting and, you know, it tells you to, to pitch more yeast and you, you can dial it in. And, you know, that's the thing is it's so easy to under pitch. It's not hard. It, it, you know, it's it's really hard to over pitch. I mean I actually I had to take a couple of shots at it before I could dump enough yeast in a beer to uh really, you know, affect the flavor in a very negative way. So it's always better to to pitch more. Uh, that's a that's good uh good tip uh Travis. How about you uh Michael, do you have a do you have another? Well, I,
4: I guess I could just add on to that one. You know, there's certain beers where they really want you to underpitch to push these flavors. You know, Belgians, vice beers, effervescents, and you know, like he was saying, with you, you can almost gauge how badly you underpitched by the progress of the fermentation. Like, how long is your lag phase? How long is your exponential growth phase? How long is your stationary phase? I mean, how long does it take to get you know? Mm-hmm. And you can really, without even really being sure of what you're Pitch rate was, or your your cell count, and and like you said, when you didn't finish, like a beer didn't attenuate to final gravity that you wanted, these are all indicators of just how underpitched it was. And like to right. add to the point is when you start seeing these things, like a, a forty eight hour lag phase or a, a two week fermentation mm-hmm. to get you know a a, a a single or a a small beer to finish. Those are very good indicators that you massively underpitched, and you should probably look at y- your process and and add more yeast next time. I mean, do you
0: really think that uh, all these classic you know beers from Belgium and England and Germany and all this? do you really think that these breweries, you know got the these beers that you're that you love so much by you know, struggling for two or four weeks to get it to right. actually attenuate properly? No. Right. So I think they're more, sl- maybe a slight from what <laughs> they would do. It's right. It's not a big
5: under pitch. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Just, you know, just, uh, and, and you know, the, the, you always want to pitch the correct amount and the correct amount could be less or more um the the correct amount is what gives you the the best beer flavor and so if you're not getting it with the amount you're doing now even if you're just like oh my god this is a crazy amount but if you're not getting the attenuation the flavor you want pitch more if if you're you know anytime you're not getting the attenuation yeah you then commonly people go like oh yeah I followed the recipe, but you know, mine finished like five points higher, 10 points higher. Yeah, you didn't pitch enough yeast. That's your problem.
5: And maybe you let it get a little towards the end.
0: hmm That's a good point. Um, let's see here. Uh, David in the in the in the chat or in the comment section was asking, he says, Dr. Maria Mootslogu episode Mutsugu. 62 of the Mutsuglu of the brew lab podcast talked about uh low gravity, high nutrient starters. What are your thoughts on that? Uh well, from the podcast with Avi, he definitely
4: was saying that nutrients should go in the wort or the must or whatever you're making, because mm. you're trying to provide nutrients for the entire fermentation. Right. Um, and to provide that nutrition. I another thing I'd say is. Most all, mar- all malt worts pretty much have a good amount of nutrition in terms of nutrients with the exception of zinc, obviously, Jamil. Um, so I actually kind of almost, unless I'm doing something extreme, I think I'm actually going to steer clear of nutrients unless like I, I'm going super high gravity and I'm, I'm going to be stressing mm-hmm. these guys. And, and then when I do, I'm probably going to add them to the wort and uh, the pre-pitch.
0: I, I I tend to agree with you. I, I have not heard that uh, that podcast, so I don't know exactly what was said. But um, generally, when I'm trying to uh, capture a yeast or I'm trying to revive something that is in in real trouble, I go low gravity, um, you can put in high nutrients, but the yeast aren't going to take them up. The the yeast are only going to take up enough nutrients uh in order to build the cell membranes that they need. You put in more nutrients, that's fine. I, I don't as long as you you are not like really screwing with the osmotic uh, uh pressure or the um uh you know the pH or things like that, then the extra nutrients aren't hurting. Um, it's a waste of money, but it, it's not really hurting. Um, but you always go with, you know, the low gravity, uh, starter in that, uh, you don't want to increase osmotic pressure on the yeast. And that's why you're, you're doing that. So generally I'd, I'd, I'd go with what Michael's saying, you know, throw those nutrients in the, in the wort or, for fermentation and get a better fermentation out of it. Well, you know, uh, no, but but again, discussing... I, I haven't heard it, so I don't, I don't really know.
2: We're not discussing what the nutrients are. I mean, enough zinc is going to be deadly to these. No. Yeah,
0: yeah, too much, too much zinc, and it depends on what the nutrient is. Yeah. Um, you know, they're they're. I'm guessing, but they're probably talking about uh, you know amino acids or something like that. Yeah, like, a, like a like a type. Yeah, high, yeah high, okay. high, you know like, the, the more. Acids. Amino acids, um, you know, because yeast will use the amino acids easily to uh, depend on what what amino acid is, um, you know, valine, you know, it's very easy for the yeast to take up and proline, you know, very hard for the yeast to take up. Um, so it depends on what kind of amino acid we're talking about, but uh, with the right amino acids, you know, yeah, they could, they could use that to build more, more cell walls. So, I mean, that, that might be, uh,
4: that might, that might work. The one thing I'll say is with, in terms of low gravity, I mean, that's kind of a, a standard, uh, starter process because you don't want to produce like tons of alcohol and put those kind of stresses on yeast. You're getting ready to pitch to your beer. You know, I, I make my starters at 1040, I'm, I'm, I think that's even a little strong, but usually I, I'm okay. But yeah, the, the low gravity, and then even lower if you're trying to save like an old package or a package you worry might have been damaged right. by temperature or light or
0: something, something. Something, you know, you've you've somehow captured some yeast. Uh, or oh, yeah, dredging or something. From, uh, you know, somewhere in England, and you've mulled it around England in a little tube. Uh, hot in your pocket for, you know, a couple of weeks. Uh, and then your refrigerator dies. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. You yeah, know, something like that. Um, Mike uh, Shoemaker, uh, he was asking, well, two packs of uh, yeasts, uh, less than the new 200 billion cells, which is, uh, let's see, so is that enough? Or should you still use a starter in a standard gravity five-gallon batch? Yeah, it's always going to depend on um you know how how high gravity we're we're talking and you know what oh, the yeah. what the yeast is and um uh, but generally yes i would say you know well, if you're talking, talking about us05 about
2: a, right if, so if
0: you're talking about like a you know a five percent pale ale mm-hmm. and you know two packs probably would probably work without a starter the starter mm-hmm. gives you a lot of things the starter gives you you know verification that your your yeast is active and uh you know it, it drops out the dead cells it gets to you your active your active yeast and you know it's uh, that's why i like a, a starter so much
4: yeah two uh, pouches of like the pure pitch gen 1 which is like 100 billion for 5 gallons you'll be good up to about he said 10 1040 to 1060 i think 1060 probably be getting
5: a little high, you might want to think about a third. But yeah, yeah, I think you would be okay, especially if oh. it's good, healthy, fresh, kept cold yeast. Well, when he yeah. says safe fail, I'm thinking he's talking about uh, dry. Yeah, yeast, I guess you know? a, Yes,
2: yes, that's a lot of yeast. Oh, Two packs yeah. in a five gallon, ten forty to ten sixty. Both of them a minute later,
0: yeah. depends on depends on you know how they were treated. Oh, yeah, and how yeah. old they are. <laughs> Yes. Uh, left out hot you know or on the top of a tin can you know for however long your back um, pocket while
2: you're holding it around europe
0: you know yeah exactly uh david came with some more information uh uh 1008 gravity with 101 carbon and nitrogen ratio nutrient which is used and targeted yeast growth on respiration over fermentation um yeah um i've I've got to listen to that and see and see exactly what's going on but um yeah there's a lot smarter people out there than than myself so
2: (laughs) hopefully the ready experiment they gave us the results yeah
5: yeah yeah. hopefully the sound of it from the sound of it it seems like the the food content is low and then you're
4: giving a lot of carbon yeah so it and then it sounds like put you want to be in the respiration phase over fermentation so
0: yeah, that's yeah. you know, uh, stir plate or you know, continuous aeration. So when they grow yeast, they tend to uh, blow sterile air through it and c- continuously stir it and keep it in respiration, uh, so it doesn't uh, slip into fermentation. Fermentation, they don't they don't really grow anything. Yeast manufacturers are trying to just produce more yeast mass.
2: Uh so we're talking about a homebrew starter at this point, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah,
4: it seems pretty okay. experimental and it'd be tricky cuz there's not a lot of uh references to go off of. I I've never heard of that, so I wouldn't know like I'm a guy who likes to read and and have a lot of it in my back pocket, so I'm standing on
0: the shoulders of a bunch of other people before I try something. It's very difficult to yeah. really keep yeast in respiration. Um it's it's a, and, and I think that's what they're doing is not providing the sugar, and I think that's you're really talking about somebody who's, you know, commercially trying to grow yeast.
4: Yeah, I almost think this is like some sort of aerated yeast yeah. slurry where you have some sort of uh, aeration manifold, like at at a water treatment plant. <laughs> you're you're hitting it with air, like you said, trickling it through, and and keeping that do residual, and yeah, trying to produce growth.
0: Right.
5: So I imagine
0: if if this person is somebody who grows yeast for a living that they know really know what they're doing. And I would imagine. I'm I'm just saying it, it's very difficult. In my talks with people like Chris White, it's difficult to keep yeast just producing more yeast. Um, yeah. you know, there's there's a limitation to it. And, you know, for, for home brewers, I think you, yeah. you go with a standard starter and you, you want to grow the yeast in a media that is very similar to what they're going to ferment. And you want to kind of, cause your, your steps are, um, you know, they used to grow a lot of yeast in, uh, you know, molasses. Uh, you know, a lot of the dry yeasts were, were grown in molasses and it was cheap and it was sugar. And that's, you know, so, um, you know, companies like uh, White Labs, I think Y Yeast and a couple of the others, they actually grow their yeast in wort, you know, beer wort and using, using barley. And the reason they do it is because it's more similar to what you're going to use the yeast for in the next step. So, if in your starter you are trying to force the yeast into doing something that is dissimilar to what they're going to do when they ferment, you may have more issues if you're repitching. This is one of the reasons that repitching was so important uh, to success. Is after a few repitches in your in your brewery, uh, even a home brewery. You find that the yeast behave a little bit better. They start to kind of just start producing better beer, uh, you know, towards what what you're you're looking for. So, yeah, it's it's hard to say whether it's worth it to to you know, just try and grow more yeast. Personally, I wouldn't as a home brewer. I wouldn't as a commercial brewer either. As a yeast manufacturer, yes, or a yeast producer, yes, um, I would do that as a commercial brewer, home brewer. No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bother with it.
5: Uh, all right. One last short break, and we'll be back with a couple of tips and tricks right after this.
1: Back to the two guys that know how to turn beer into beer this is brew strong
0: all right we're back um i tell you we did not get to uh, 80 90 percent of the list of tips and tricks that i have so here's the question should we do another fermentation tips and tricks right after this or should we do more live Q and A? Told people we're going to be doing live Q and A. Yeah.
3: What but if we do a back.
0: live Q and A with fermentation emphasis? Well, <laughs> 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 no, we'll see. We've got a question uh, from Richard uh, about uh, uh, water and some other stuff. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know if that's really gonna, that's really gonna work. Let's do this. Let's, let's a uh, couple more trips. Tips and tricks, and then we will uh, switch over to Q and A, and then we'll revisit more tips and tricks uh, a future episode. Or maybe we'll write that article we we're talking about. All right, here's one: um, Don't bother with the yeast washing. People ask me all the time, you know, can I wash my yeast? You can rinse your yeast. Uh, yeast washing refers to uh, driving the pH down so low that the yeast sort of survive and but it's so low that you kill off some bacteria if that's what you've got if you've got a dirty pitch let's say you want to save this yeast you've muled it you you you, you swiped your hand through an open fermenter in england stuck it in your pocket and then you know when you got home you, you're you're, <laughs> you're growing your your you, you cut the pocket out of your jeans uh, and, and <laughs> you fermented it. Let's just That's say a tip and trick 80 right, 80 right there. there. Let's just say this happened. <laughs> what you, you what you want to do is not just uh you know try your yeast washing or something like that, you know, add a whole bunch of acid to your yeast. What you would do is plate that that slurry that you get out of there, you know, just plate that out and see, you know, uh, you know, there'll be individual colonies. And you should be able to tell the difference between bacteria and yeast. Uh, there may be different yeasts, but Um, you know the bacteria will definitely look different and so you will you know you know from a single cell you can pick that that colony off and you can grow that up now now you have no bacteria you just have pure yeast it's the much better way to go than trying to do yeast uh, washing never do yeast washing it's like what major breweries do when they pasteurize and they don't really care that they have a bunch of bacteria in their in their beer. Um, so so don't do that. That's uh you can rinse, uh, use some uh, use some uh, uh, sterile water, not RO or DO water, but sterile water, and uh, you know pour some in there, shake it up, let the yeast separate, and you know you'll get the the yeast hulls uh, on the top. You'll get all the trube and crap on the bottom and then the middle you get this nice creamy layer that's your yeast so you decant the top off throw that away pour the good creamy layer into another container and ignore the bottom there's your yeast rinsing to you know reduce the amount of trube and other other crap that's in there
2: you know most people i talk to about washing yes they mean rinsing yes you just defined it and and if it ever comes up again i'm going to say there's, there's a video laid out, started <laughs> at about 55 minutes in and it's, it's you're washing, you know, you know you're rinsing. Yeah. An excellent
5: explanation. Thank you.
2: And
4: I would say if you want to be less ambiguous, you, I would call it an acid wash. Like you're, it's an acid wash right. of the yeast and that's where you're trying to produce an environment. Yeah. Like you went through and, and I would say, unless you are adept at plating and, and selecting, Yeast cells from a plate of colonies and propping up from single
0: cells. And
4: if you have a contaminated
0: easy. slurry, it's maybe it's, 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 it's super easy. Yeah, I know, but you, you can, you can go on, uh, you know, whatever your, your local homebrew shop is. Uh, a lot of them have, you know, pre-made plates have sterile loops. You just, uh, you know, dip it in there, you know, streak it across Uh, a little z pattern turn it 90 degrees little z pattern and then maybe a second plate and
5: then and then do the same thing and then just just let them grow up yeah it's not that hard there's a book that tells you how to do it too
2: that's a hell of a book uh, i'll tell you there's been no yeast part two you'll notice
0: i'm working on it it. yeah i heard there's,
4: there's some i'm pretty excited for that by the way. I'm like giddy because that, that yeast book came out in 2010 and the yeast technology and wow. the, that's what the published date on the inside of the cover says, uh, but Holy the, crap. That yeah. A long time ago. But to, to, to have you guys all, including all the new stuff, the technologies and the, the, the findings and the advancements taking, it's taking
0: a long yeah.
4: time. I would bet. Yeah. But the, I yeah. was going through that book a lot this week, getting ready for this. And that is a great book and it's got everything about mm-hmm. doing all that. and. I personally have decided to, if I'm worried about a slurry and I would think about acid washing it, I'm just dumping it. Sure I'm going to go start a new one and I'll be all clean and sterile again. And I know people get really worried about bacteria in their brewery too. So,
5: mm-hmm. I mean, but yeah, if you uh, want to learn,
4: Jamil's got you in that book.
5: Yeah. You and Chris were signing that book in 2011 when I met you and Chris was hungover. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I, I pretended not to be hungover. That's the best way to sign books.
2: That's the only way I know you. That's the difference.
0: Well, we met We met before that.
2: Yes, we, we met at the... Uh, you've told the story several times. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it was a great
5: day. And if and, I was uh, signing books after that, I was probably hungover. No, that was not the same day. <laughs> All right. Let's do
0: this. Let's call this end of uh, the episode, and if you're listening live, stay tuned because uh, we will continue again in, in just just a few moments. Uh, depends on whether these guys, you know, need a pee break. You know, you should oh, yeah. pee right before the show. That's that's how it works, yeah. um, or not. And then uh, we will, uh, you know, pick right back up with the you know live Q and A and uh we'll probably squeeze in a few more fermentation tips and tricks in there uh but uh, stay tuned if you're listening on the podcast uh it's gonna be two weeks and then you're gonna you're gonna have another magical podcast until then everybody uh Bruce strong Bruce
4: strong Bruce strong